Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. And Kurt, it's good to see you. <laughs> good to see you, man, as always. Always, always a treat. We... Um, Okay, can I just say, I'm yes. just, I just want to hop in here and just say, sure. I'm, I, I've, I've heard from a number of people, and I don't, I don't know what we're hearing, um, communication from emails uh, or other, other ways, but I, I just, I'm hearing from people that they are finding the, the podcast to be really helpful in a lot of different ways, and I am grateful for that. And just to say that like the, uh, our listeners' feedback matters. To us, I mean, we're, we're not we're not just doing this just to hear that, but it matters to us, and I'm I'm grateful to have it. And I, you know, a lot of what people mention to me is that it's not a small part it has to do with the conversation that we're having and our friendship, mm-hmm. and 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 the friendship that the, that the three of us have, uh, you and Amy and me together. And I just want to say out loud again that I'm I'm grateful for that, and grateful for the opportunity to record, and that I uh, miss you in the off weeks when we're not doing that. But um, thank you so much to our listeners who have taken the time to just respond and let us know that this has been a helpful thing for you. It, it, it encourages us, gives us even more reason to keep doing what we're doing. So we're really grateful for that. Which makes me want to say go to iTunes and leave us a review, rate us, and go to YouTube and watch us there and subscribe. Those things really help spread the word about the podcast, and we would like to reach as many people as possible. Um, mm, right if on. you like us, please share the news. If you don't, zip it. <laughs> That's right. And speaking of reviews, there's only one kind of review to offer. Yes, there is. And that is a positive review. <laughs> so what season is this, Kurt? This is season five, my season man. Season five. That's right. And we are in episode three of season five. And this season, we are going through Kurt's second book, the Soul of Shame, and today we are going to be going through Chapter 2. Chapter 2 is entitled, How Shame Targets the Mind. And I know, Kurt, you had mentioned that you wanted to maybe harken back a little bit to Season 2 of the Being Known podcast to get us started today. Right. Uh, for our listeners, we're, we, uh, if, if you remember, if you've, if you've listened to the second season, it really is a more expanded view of all the things about the mind and integration, a lot of those topics that we've, that we covered there. And part of though, what, what's important about a, a brief recap is, is not to go into the same kind of detail at all that we did in that second season, but it is a way for us to be reminded of uh, what it is that shame begins to do. It's, it's, it's really, I think, not enough for us to just talk about shame in the abstract or out there kind of like in the ether on its own. Because shame doesn't really have a place to land or have work to do uh, apart from the work that it does in our mind. And so it's just helpful for us, I think, to have a recap of that briefly and to remember that um, though our mind at the end of the day is a great mystery because our God has made it and we, 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 we don't we're not going to get to the ends of it. We're not going to understand it fully. We continue to learn new things about how the brain works and how it's connected to our bodies and relationships and even to the earth and our interaction with that. It is, in that sense, it is a mystery at the end of the day, but it's not completely mysterious. So 
it's not that we have you know no way of understanding how the mind works and it's also important for us to remember we we say this here on our podcast often that evil does its best work in the middle of good work being done it doesn't operate on its own it has to take what god gives it god creates something that is beautiful and evil lands on that and takes advantage of it it uses the elegance of the mind itself against itself as we will soon see and just to kind of introduce us to this we're just going to reflect on a story of that i uh, write about in the book and this this uh, person that we'll call justin had come to see me and what was difficult about him was this this uh, he, he was an accomplished person but who had this great difficulty in entering into relationships he he wanted to have he wanted to be married he wanted to have a family but every time he would enter into relationships and and not just romantically but even with friendships he would enter into relationships and as soon as things would start to get close he would bolt he would leave the relationship and he really just couldn't understand why it was there were a lot of things about him that were attractive that were lovely he was good at what he did professionally he was effective in life in so many ways but he would become really quite anxious when he would get close to someone especially to a woman and as we talked about his story he eventually revealed something that he hadn't revealed to anyone else, and that was that when he was a young boy, he'd had a cousin who had exposed him to pornography. And that exposure had taken place between the ages of about nine and 12, three to four years, and he knew something wasn't quite right about that. He had never told anyone. But there was also this this combined sense of anticipation and exhilaration and closeness that he felt with his cousin who not just... Justin, but everybody else in the family really admired. This is a cousin who kind of embodied and kind of held the felt sense of, like, if this cousin likes you, you are likable. Mm. If this cousin shows attention toward you, you feel loved, you feel important. And what Justin came to experience as we began to talk about this was this tangling, if you will, this this sense of being, this intimacy got tangled up with his deep shame. And we will see how, as we start to review some of these things about the mind, that shame does just that. It tangles itself up in other elements of our lives that are actually quite good and beautiful. And for Justin, it was this sense of intimacy and being wanted and loved and celebrated even by virtue of his attention you know, the attention that he received from his cousin that got tangled up with all this shame. And so with that story in mind, and, and what we started to do was we, we had to do the work of untangling this with him. And eventually he was able to do this in a way that he was able to move on and begin to date and begin to do so and eventually found a partner that he loved and married. And it took several years But this was a guy who was intent upon that purpose, but not without kind of coming to an understanding of how things that are quite beautiful are also the very things where shame was weaving itself in and out, which is how evil tends to use it to operate. And one of the first things we did then with Justin was to just review, like, what is the mind? And as we've said here before, that this, that our, that our mind is both a, both an embodied and relational process. It's not just one or the other. It's not just my brain. It's the body and relationships, my brain and relationships, my entire body working together for me to become an integrated whole. And what does it mean for me to be integrated? We talk about the nine domains of integration. We talk about my 
awareness of consciousness, the conscious domain. We talk about the vertical domain, my, my body's domain of the mind. We talk about my right and left hemispheres, my horizontal domain, the fact that I first sense and that I make sense of things. We talk about the memory domain, how I remember things implicitly in my body, but also how I remember things explicitly in terms of like what I had for dinner, but also who hurt me when I was in third grade. We talk about the narrative domain, which we'll get into a little, even a little more, this, this sense of my storytelling and how I tell stories. In what way am I attached to people, my attachment processes, recognizing that it is in, it is in relationships that I learn to regulate all the things that I feel and sense and image and make sense of things. It's in that co-regulatory, co-storytelling Process And that then moves me on to what we consider to be different states of the mind, the domain of state. I operate in different states when I'm at work than I do at home, than I do when I'm on the ball field. These different states I'm transitioning from moment to moment to moment throughout my day. And where shame wants to operate is often in these transition points from, you know, from state to state. And then we talk about the interpersonal domain, that my life in the world is not lived singularly. I'm always living in relationship to someone else's life that is influencing me, whether they're in the room with me or not. We move from there to the temporal domain, that we are the only creatures that are aware that we're going to die. We are the only creatures, as far as we know, that have an awareness of the past and think about the past and think about the future in the ways that we do. And what we do with time influences all those other domains, which is why we as believers talk about the importance of that fancy-schmancy term eschatology, like my sense of what's my end point going to be like? What's the end? Not just the big end, but what's my particular end going to be like? And then we talk about this this word that Dan Siegel coined when he said this transpiration, this notion of if I'm paying attention rhythmically across the sweep of these other eight domains, I create yet a ninth domain of awareness of these various parts of me that in so doing, I am bringing all these states together, all these different domains together, much like an orchestra that has different sections of instruments, these different domains, they're brought together by a conductor. They need to be differentiated. I need to know what these different domains are, that they need to get good exercise, but they also need to be linked to one another. And that process of linkage of these differentiated states is what we call integration, like a well-working orchestra. But we also know that this, when this system is working well, that that's a system that occupies this acronym of FACES. It's flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, and stable that keeps us in this river of integration between the banks of chaos and rigidity, recognizing too that like none of this can happen if we don't have outside help. In order for this to happen for me, I need another. I need an outside mind. We who are believers would say that this is what it means for God to make us like God, that we need each other in the same way that God lives in this holy Trinitarian relational aspect and also lives with us relationally. In that same way, it's all of these, not just the different domains, but the intersection of these domains at these places where they come together. This is where shame wants to insert itself. This is where evil wants to use shame to take advantage of these things. And so, for instance, with Justin, he had a, for instance, he had a, an embodied sense of both this exhilaration when he was looking at pornography that was also tangled up with shame. He felt awful at the same time. 
And so much of his not wanting to talk about his experience had to do with like he didn't want to feel in his body what he necessarily would feel. He didn't want to think in his mind, I'm such an awful person. And the feeling that would come over him because it's an awful thing to feel. So who wants to tell someone that? Which means not only does the vertical domain of the mind get affected by shame, but also the interpersonal domain. I'm going to keep myself separate from someone else. In addition, the memory domain, I remember this story and then I tell myself a story about myself. You're such an awful person because who would look at that? And then I can't tell my parents, my parents, like I'm an awful, so I have a narrative domain. I tell myself a story. The story that I tell myself is that I'm not okay. And so when I get close to someone, there is the story that I tell about my future. There's a temporal domain. They will find out about me and then they will leave. You know, Pepper, I, I, I think of the, uh, man, some things just don't, don't, I like, and I, I, like, don't ever leave your memory. And I still remember the conversation that you and I had sitting at that table mm. in the restaurant in Colorado. And I mean, dude, you talk about being seen, being known, and... Like it, it, it's like, oh my gosh, like I have someone else here who like, I'm not in this world by myself with all this stuff that is banging around in the back of my head. And as we talked, as Justin and I talked, even, even his aware of talking with me, like there's this sense of he's not alone with this, but these are examples of how evil wants to use shame to insert it and to twist these different domains along the way and infect it in such a way that we don't know that that I, I like Justin didn't know that it was shame at work. Justin just had the sense of I'm a bad guy. Right. And in so doing, it also then uses this process of the mind's activity of neuroplasticity, that those neurons that fire together wire together. And the more we practice telling ourselves, like, I'm a terrible person, the more embedded and the more permanent that becomes. And so it's not just the truth. It's literally my brain's only, like, option for telling the story about who I am. There's no other option because Justin is stuck telling this story because of the way his brain neuroplastically practices becoming more permanent. And we talk about... I use this phrase, the razor's edge of renewal. On one side of the razor's edge is Andy's story of like, I'm a horrible person. If somebody finds out about me, like I'm a, like I'm a dead guy. On the other side is this hard, by hard, like this, this effortful practice of actually firing our neurons in a different, in a new way which takes a lot of work, but I'm a lot more able to fire those neurons. I'm a lot more able to imagine a different story when I've heard, when I've watched you, Pepper, hear and receive my story in a way that is not condemning. And so my attention is different. It's not just on my story. It's on you paying attention to my story in a way that I couldn't have come up with on my own. But shame is so tricky because shame has, has is, <laughs> or, you know, you, you, the last thing you want to do when you're feeling shame about something is to bring it to light and talk to somebody about it. I mean, it, it wants you to go into hiding. And so the mm -hmm. one thing that you can do to help you is the one thing that it's combating you from doing. Yeah, Crazy. I mean, like not to be crass, but like we're, it just feels like we're so screwed. 
Yeah. It feels like we're, we're just so undone by this. And shame then, because it, 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 it kind of captivates this one mechanism of our brain, uh, this, this mechanism of attention. You know, we, we've said this before, you know, one of the key questions that we ask is, how, how well am I paying attention to what I'm paying attention to? And of course, for Justin, because he'd never told anyone about this story, he had no experience of anyone paying attention to him in any way that would be different from the way he pays attention to him when he remembers this story, which is one of condemnation. Hmm. That's how I like, I pay attention to myself contemptuously. Right. When I would, when I'm sharing things with you and you're just being receptive and there is the part of my brain that's like, okay, wait for it, wait for it, wait for like, when is it, when is it good? Like, when is the, when is the other shoe going to drop? When is Pepper going to say, yeah, you really kind of suck at this, don't you? <laughs> this, this life thing. You're kind of like, hey, you're pretty sucky at life. Like, I, I, like I keep, I keep waiting, you, you know, th- there's this, and, but it does. And so like you're, you're holding your breath, but they're just like, no, just, just breathe. And like, there is this fresh air and you're like, uh, when is the, when is the poison gas coming? And all you're breathing in is, is fresh air. You're like for the first time, because I'm, I just like, I, I just kind of like turned my attention to poison gas about my, about the, the, you know, the story that I tell. And so it's, it's such an important element for us to ask how and to what are we paying attention because we become what we pay attention to. And evil is counting on this. Evil is counting on very, very subtly, right? Evil, the serpent was the subtlest. Like there's different words that Genesis 3 uses, different English words. Evil was the subtlest of the creatures. Evil was the craftiest. Those are, those are different words. One implies my intention to fool someone, but the other implies that I am really good at it. Like you're not, it, it's so subtle. And this is how evil wields shame to be this. And one of the ways that it does is that it, 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 it utilizes the neurophysiologic experience of emotion that shame represents. And this emotion that we have is the, we like to talk about, it, it's the fuel in the engine that drives all human behavior. It's not the essence of, it's not the most important thing, but it is crucial to, and it's it's implicated in all the things that we sense and image and do and feel like we're, we're all those things are taken, emotion is part of this. And it moves us in our mind from the past to the future. I'm emotionally driven by things. I have an experience that I immediately wonder about, wow, that's related to things in the past. I anticipate that about what that's gonna mean in the future. And that felt experience, that emotional experience is what Justin embedded into his mind over and over and over and over again. And that then affects how he attaches to people because anytime he got closer to people, anytime he got close to attaching to someone, that attachment process invariably would bring this shame up and he would have to leave. And so he, like the rest of us, became a storyteller in which his attachment process was one in which the story that he told about himself was that at some point I am flawed. I am so flawed that when someone discovers this, that I am flawed, they're going to leave. The problem was, of course, uh, 
you know, it's it's kind of like it doesn't really matter if, that if the air that I'm breathing is polluted, uh, I still have to breathe. I'm I am made as a breathing organism. I can't just decide, oh, the air is polluted. I'll just take a break from breathing for the next three or four days. Air quality is not so great. I just won't breathe for a while. No. We still have this longing. We still have this longing to be seen, soothed, safe, secure. We still have this longing to be known, to be celebrated, to be wanted, for God to walk in the room, for us to walk in the room. And God's like, oh my gosh, you are here. I have been waiting for 3.5 billion years. I think that's about how old our universe is. Like, I mean, for this moment, for you. And we want to be in this story. We long for beauty and goodness to be the story in which we're living. And in this sense, we are like no other animal that we know of, right? We don't know that elk are talking about last winter's harvest or that the squirrels are talking about what next spring is going to be like. We have the sense that we are the people who are telling stories about our past and into our futures because we are made in God's image. This is what it means for us to be image bearers of God. We intend things like no other animal does. Animals have instincts, but animals don't have intention for other people's good, for other people's evil, right? The wolves are just like, they're just getting their lunch. They're not thinking, I hate deer. (laughs) Deer should be eradicated from the earth. They're awful. No, they're not. They're they're not. I I mean, I don't think, I don't think they're thinking this. I think they're just thinking about lunch. Right. But not so for Justin. Justin could only imagine the story that was very different from the one that God wanted to tell him. And so this is, this is ultimately, we would say that, you know, we can talk about the mechanics of shame. And we did that a little bit uh, today. And we'll talk a little bit about it. We'll talk a little bit more specifically about some of those mechanics in our next episode. We can talk about the mechanics all day long, but it's really important for us to recognize that those are the mechanics that are embedded in the grand story. We aren't animals like other animals are. We are image bearers of God, and that sets us apart to actually steward those other animals, to steward the earth. We want to be storytellers of goodness and beauty, and evil wants to devour that story. And evil is wielding shame as a way to tell a story of loneliness, to tell a story of exasperation, to tell a story of scarcity, of starvation, to tell a story that you're not just wanted, you're not even wantable. And that uh, in order for you to cope with that awareness of being unwantable, that you should take everything that you can get. You deserve everything that you believe you deserve, even if it requires violence to get it. And um, we are here to say that uh, we, we want uh, evil to be found out. Uh, the, the New Testament scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures as well, are replete with the admonition for us to be on the alert for what evil wants to do and to give it no quarter because it wants to devour us and it wants to use shame as a way to do that. Uh, But we're really um, hopeful, which is why we're talking about it. 
We're not just talking about it because it's a problem and we need to be, we don't need to be afraid of it. We just need to be aware of it in order to see how God can take it and transform it into really good and beautiful things. Yeah. That's great, Kurt. You know, you started this episode by talking about evil doing its best work in the middle of good work being done. And I gave this picture. I was out gardening this week and have this rose bush and I can't, the poison ivy is constantly growing up inside this rose bush to where. Oh my, inside the bush. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're in there trying to get it, get it out and you're getting thorns in your hands and everything else. But it's just this image of, I mean, I'm not saying poison ivy is necessarily evil, although it, <laughs> it's certainly not good. I don't understand the purpose. I'll be, of I'll be happy to say that poison ivy is evil. <laughs> yeah. But just this picture of, you know, that's, it no, I mean, it grows there because it's so hard to to get to and pull out there. So it it's it thrives there in the middle of this beautiful rose bush. Yeah. Just, wow. Yeah. What an image. So as I said in the beginning of the sh- the episode, we are going through the soul of shame. So I just want to tell you that if you haven't, if you don't have the book, go get it because the podcast will be a great companion. And you'll get a lot more out of the episodes as we move forward if you're if you're reading along with us. And I also wanted to say that, you know, Kurt, you went through the nine domains of integration today. And, and obviously that was a very, very quick trip through. We will put uh, in the show notes where you can find in our past episodes a more in-depth explanation of of the nine domains, because if you haven't listened to those, you're going to want to uh, have that information as we move forward in the season. Mm -hmm. Do you have an application for us today? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say the last thing we want to do is to just offer this application. And again, we, we know that you don't have all the time in the world. Our our listeners, we we realize that we're glad that you have taken the time to listen to the podcast. Uh, But one, one thing that you could do would be just to take some time to revisit season two of our podcast. And the show notes, I think, will be helpful with that. And I want to, I would invite you to be curious about which of those nine domains capture your attention and why. Like, as we, just even paying attention, what, what, what starts to captivate your curiosity? And then I would invite you to just practice writing and keeping a record of some of the following. Here's just a handful of things to keep a written record of. And the first thing would be, how does your daily life reflect those five features of that acronym FACES. If if life is to be lived as an integrated whole, like that orchestra of flexible, adaptive, coherent, energized, and stable, how does your daily life reflect that? Where, where does that happen? Where you feel any or all of those five features or not? Uh, because where we aren't feeling that, where we aren't sensing that or seeing that, I want to invite you to consider that that's a place for us to be curious about where shame is showing up. Second thing to be considering is in which of the nine domains of integration of your mind does shame seem to have taken up particular residence? We talked about Justin and like in his storytelling, mm-hmm. I am a guy who's not wantable. That's a pretty powerful metaphor to be repeating to yourself over and over and over and over and over again. So in which of those nine domains of integration does your mind seem to have allowed shame to take up particular residence? The third thing is, what is taking up most of the real estate of your attention? Where are you directing your attention? In what way is shame driving that process? 
A fourth thing, and again, uh, we realize that if we want transformation, it's going to require the work of transformation that is necessary. We can't get away from it. So I would say three to four times a day, doesn't take very, a couple of minutes, three to four times a day, pause to consider what your emotion is at the moment that you're currently sensing. Just probably like, what's the emotion that's emerging for me now? You're like, I, I, I don't, like, that would seem kind of weird to do that. I want to invite you to consider that the more we practice doing that, the more aware of what it is that our emotions are will become like second nature to us at any given moment. And especially, especially in what way is shame one of those emotional contents? And what is the story that you are telling that is supporting that particular emotion? I feel bad. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. Oh, what's the story behind that? As we said, Justin became a storyteller. In our relationship, I tell a different story now about my life because you're in it, because Amy's in it, that I would have told eight years ago. What's the story that we're telling in response or that's supporting that emotion? What part of your past is the story that you're drawing on? What part, what, what part of that remembered past? And what is the future story you're telling as a result of the emotion. What's the future? What's the story that you're telling? What's the story that you're making up about how your future is going to be? And then lastly, as we often do, and we, we, we say this repeatedly because we want you as our listeners to not be alone uh, with what your story is because, but evil's, evil's counting on you. Like you can do the, all these exercises, just don't tell anybody. Right. And so lastly, consider whom you would want to share the things you've discovered with and take the risk of doing so. Because in in so doing, you create the opportunity to bring shame into the light where it can be seen, yes, challenging as it is, but can also be healed and your story recommissioned into one of beauty and goodness. So as I do this application this week, expect at least a text from me where I'll check in with you and and share these things with you. Right on. Vice versa. Right Right back at you. Thank you for today, Kurt. This was awesome. Uh, Those of you who are are watching on YouTube, stand by because Amy's going to be joining us and she wants to talk about Tootsie Rolls. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Kurt. (laughs) Love you, man. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.